You're listening to the Apple Insider Podcast. Welcome to episode 93 of the Apple Insider Podcast, where we talk about all things Mac, Apple, iPhone, iPod, iPad, and more. Joining me is Mike Worthley. Mike, how you doing? Hello, back from my super secure bunker in Northern Virginia. Your lair, as it were. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, before we get into talking about that, I want to talk about deals. Two of Apple's newly unveiled 13-inch MacBook Pros without a touch bar are in stock at our good friends B&H, with no tax outside of New York. And you can also save $400 off a mid-2015 MacBook Pro with no tax outside New Jersey or New York. Or pick up a 12-inch MacBook at $50 to $100 off. A 13-inch Air, 1.6 gigahertz, 8 gig, 256 gig, so forth, is $949. And, and so we've got all these deals and more in the show notes. But what's cool about this is if you're seeking a MacBook Pro and you want a very capable machine but without the touch bar and, and some of these kinds of things uh, and still want the luxury of MagSafe too, then this 15-inch deal may be the way to go for you. The, uh, if you want that 13-inch without the touch bar, we have that available here also, and that, that you can save about, um, well, let's see, the 13-inch the without a touch bar is in stock, and its price is, of course, fourteen ninety nine. And because you don't have to pay the tax uh, to New York, because you're outside of New York, you save about $120, at least up front. Uh, taxes being, of course, your own responsibility to your own locale. Uh, and you can save $20 when you add Apple Care to that purchase. So, so basically, we've got some interesting deals, and we're going to make them available in the show notes. Now, Mike, obviously, we've been talking about how important headphones are, especially with the absence of the headphone jack on the iPhone 7. Yeah. So what are people doing to solve this this problem, well, this there, critical lack? There is the Apple W1 chip, which they use across two Beats products and the AirPods. Uh, the only problem with that is only two of those products are shipping. Only the Beats products are actually shipping right now, the AirPods. Uh, been a little dramatic on the AirPods. The Chinese supply chain initially indicated that they would be pushed into January, which we got that news and it didn't make a lot of sense to us. So we decided to delve into it a little bit using the Apple Insider Resource Network, for lack of a better term. And we were told by sources inside Apple Corporate, mind you, that there was no way that the AirPods are going to get pushed past Christmas. Right, because just in terms of, of you know projected sales, that would kind of stink for Apple, wouldn't it? I think from an adoption standpoint, I don't think that would be great. The Well, the Beats, the Power Beats are just now hitting the stores. And if you order a pair from Apple Online right now, you'll get them sometime next week. Those are a little bit later than they thought they were going to be. So there was some, there was some speculation that there might be an issue with the W1, but the fact that the Beats products are shipping and the AirPods are not, no one really knows what's going on with that. So... I would suspect that we're going to see these, I'm guessing, the first week of December. Um, but I'm fairly confident in the information that we are given by our sources that tell us that we'll see them well in time for the Christmas season. Right. And retail locations do have perhaps a couple of pairs for customer demonstration. So uh, They're not out yet, as I understand it. The, the We pulled 10 stores and six of the stores had demo units waiting for the word from corporate to go ahead and start demonstrating. Um, I have not had a chance to go and verify any of these locations in person to see if there's any behind glass or anything like that, but I presume that there is not at this time. Okay. So AirPods, PowerBeats 3, and Beats Solo 3 Wireless, which are the uh, on-ear headphones, mm-hmm. 
are the ones that are going to have the W1 chip. Yeah, that's all that's been announced right now in the W1. Now, what exactly has Apple has in mind for long term of the W1, which debuted in the iPhone 7? I really don't know. And no one's really sure. Is it going to be licensed? Don't know. Is it going to be Apple and Beats only? Don't know. We'll see. Right, I got a the, the W1 isn't in the iPhone 7. The W1 is in the headphones themselves. Right. It, it debuted alongside the iPhone. Not, Thank uh, you. I guess I should be more clear. It debuted <laughs> alongside the iPhone 7, not in the iPhone 7. So Yeah. Um, and it's, it's you know, we, we've had uh, completely uninformed speculation that the W1 could be licensed out under the same kind of, of process that the chips are licensed out for MFI program and HomeKit and so forth. Yeah, there's just no evidence of that right now. It does make sense that they would do that, but we haven't even heard anything in the rumor chain suggesting that that's going to happen anytime soon. Right. And it, it would my guess would be that supply is so low at this moment that it it's that conversation hasn't begun because you couldn't get them if you wanted. Bluetooth is a funny technology. It's driven by a bunch of different companies and there's different classes of Bluetooth that determine range and power and well, well, it's it's not it, well. It's, just, it's not classes. It's level of the spec, right? Revisions of the spec. Well, so. yeah. There's errata. There's Bluetooth classes. There's there's so many different var- when you can say Bluetooth, but it's this big bucket. Well, there's there's Bluetooth 2.1, which gave us AVRCP and A2DP, and then Bluetooth 3, which was the beginning of having Bluetooth data that then passed over to Wi-Fi for bigger data transmission. Then Bluetooth 4 that gave us the the Bluetooth low energy spec, 4.1 is a part of that, but you get better range and better battery life kind of thing. Well, even on top of that, there's still errata integral to the, to the protocol. From Bluetooth 4 to Bluetooth 4.1, there have been nine errata, hmm. which they can be implemented in software, they can be implemented in hardware, which adds an additional complexity on top of compatibility from Bluetooth to Bluetooth. It's it's a very complex situation, and I, I think that that has more to do with the W1 since the W1 does work with Bluetooth in general. It has to, right? Because it has yeah, to it rides with on the top iPhone. It. it rides on top of Bluetooth. So I, I just think that I think that Apple is taking a little bit of extra time to make sure that the sard- the software works well with the hardware, and and that the the W1 in the in the earpods and the earpods themselves are compatible with a wide array of devices. I think that's what all this is. I don't think it's anything more sinister than that. Okay, good to know that that's that's where you stand. I was was thinking that uh, you know they've they've had some units out in reviewers' hands, not in our hands, of course, but they've had them with some people, mm-hmm. and and they've functioned. So it's the difference between something that's functional and works for most people in a review situation versus being widely rolled out and everyone uncovering something. So they, they've they've found a few things. They're getting ready. Yeah, I, I believe so too. And if you look at the reviews of the AirPods, uh, they're all they all happen about the same time. So it's not like it's just one pair of AirPods getting passed from venue to venue. And there all were the AirPods with the iPhone Seven, the AirPods with an iPad, or the AirPods with a Mac. They they really didn't stray that far from airpods and apple they really didn't look at any third parties yeah. in any depth so i, I think that that, that compatibility you, is what this that's is about what this is sold for right mm-hmm. if you're buying an iphone and you're interested in the 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 headphones the airpods that have the w1 chip you're not buying those w1 airpods to work with an android device well no you're not but they do advertise that it's compatible with any bluetooth device surely and and so it will be but you know if you're handing them to a reviewer 
what what are you're, you're handing here's your review kit right here's the kit that you're meant to go and review here's the reviewer's guide that tells you how we want you to look at it and what things we want to highlight to you that you should mention and the things you should test right they they lay out and prepare the reviewer so that you you've got it all together and know what you're doing and know what they want to show you right so they're not going to give you an Android phone and say, hey, go test it with this. Their intention is show it off with our latest thing because we think that's how our consumers are going to buy the thing anyway. Well, sure, and I get that. But my point was is that any issue that it might have with a third-party piece of hardware wouldn't necessarily have been revealed in the first initial impressions and reviews of the hardware. That's all. Yeah, something that they know and test for anyway. Right. Yeah. So absent those ones being widely available – other people are introducing Bluetooth because now is a great time to jump in and take advantage of that opportunity if you're a manufacturer. Well, sure. Uh, Master and Dynamic have got their MW50s that they rolled out this week. Um, metal and leather, of all things. They're, they're, that, that's no surprise if you're a fan of Master and no, Dynamic. No, it's They're no, very old-timey looking. They, they're, they're not like you know the huge plastic muffs popularized in the 70s or anything like that. No. Um, they're... They're premium. They're primarily made of stainless steel, cowhide leather headband, lambskin leather wrapped around memory phone ear pads. Um, and they say that they're lighter than their MW60s, which, you know, they are, those are pretty mammoth, but they, they're also a higher end product. Uh, there's 40 millimeter beryllium drivers with a range between five and 30,000 hertz, twin microphones for voice input. Um, and they say that they'll go 16 hours on the battery, which I'm reasonably impressed with. Uh, and they have Bluetooth 4.1, which has the better power management, mm -hmm. and aptX audio, which, you know, you get for free anyway. And 33-foot range, which is fairly standard for Bluetooth audio. Uh, Especially for a 4.1 system. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're 449 bucks, but that's competitive in the market segment that they're, that they're in. This, this, you shouldn't look at this and go, oh, my God, I'm never going to buy those because they're a boutique brand. They are a boutique brand, but that's the thing is – you, there has to be a range of products, right? I mean, there's the $5 headphones you can get at the convenience store. And you won't hear much of anything. And you won't hear much of anything. Or you can you can be that audiophile and get the higher-end stuff that's made of wood and not plastic. And, and, and deal with the resonance in the wood rather than resonance in plastic or a metal casing. So, yeah. And, you know, if, if manufacturers never make the very best thing that they know how to make – then they never know how to translate and, and trickle that quality down to the next lower model mm -hmm. that eventually becomes cost affordable to you, right? If, if you never make the very best thing, then you don't know where to cost reduce from. I am not an audiophile, but I respect the people that are, and I understand most of their choices. I mean, the, the $10,000 USB cables, I don't quite get. Well, uh, notwithstanding that, so Neil Hughes – Esteemed Neil Hughes, who hasn't been on the show for a little bit, but he'll be back, I promise. We've been a little busy, yeah. Neil uses Master and Dynamic headphones, and he normally uses their microphone attached to their headphones when he podcasts with this show. And he is a fan of them. Why did he spend the money on Master and Dynamic headphones? Because they, they were not provided by Apple Insider Corporate. They were provided by Neil Hughes. He bought them because he lives very, very minimalist-like. You know, he has very few possessions in life, and he makes sure that the ones that he has are the very best. The ones that bring him joy. They do. And he will tell you, if you ever stop him, if you can't ever stop him, he's too busy. But if you can ever stop him, he will tell you, Master and Dynamic, that's the way to go, because that's what he likes. So very cool for Master and Dynamic that they've introduced this, and we'll see if Neil replaces his own set. 
Also, available in Apple stores now are headphones from the Black Eyed Peas frontman Will I Am, along with models from Kendall Jenner and Naomi Gamble. These are the IM Plus buttons, which are our Bluetooth wireless earbuds that are available at Apple stores and Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's. This being an audio mostly medium, the best way you can imagine these is Apple's earpods with a stack of two quarters on the outside of them. No, no, no. They're 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 shiny brushed metal uh, caps on the end. The size of two quarters. They're they're brushed in a circular <laughs> sunray kind of effect that that leads you to sort of take the cue as if they were a grooved vinyl record. They, they are attractive. They 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 do strongly resemble some of the other products that Will I Am has produced. This is not his first audio device. I believe this is his sixth. Um, he's also, you know, coincidentally or or not, he's working on Planet of the Apps, mm-hmm. that that curated apps development show that Apple is partnering with to, to get that done. Yeah. So it's uh, the things are growing, and the nice thing that Apple has done with USB C and Bluetooth is they've really pushed the adoption of the technologies, and Bluetooth is is prevalent now. USB C will get there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that coming up later. But this is exactly the kind of thing that Apple driving the market forward helps to promote. Right. Now, what's important about these Bluetooth earbuds is is let's talk about just what they look like besides. So they've got these metal discs. The metal discs are magnetic so that they help keep the earbuds secure around your neck when you're not using them. They attach together. It's convenient. Um, Sometimes magnetic headphones like that actually use that as a, a way to turn them off so that they power save when they're not in use. Oh, I don't I know if these that. ones do that. Hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I have a pair that's uh, made by a company called PureGear. And the PureGear ones, which are very affordable, um, use the magnet at the ends of the earbuds. When they stick together, they turn themselves off so that they power save. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Tim McCann's uh, kind of guy. I got this big old manly head with these really tiny baby ear canals. So any yeah. kind of earbud is No one wants to hear about ear canals. No, probably not. They're clean, no. though, so you know, that's a plus. You say that. Um, the the thing that you need in terms of earbuds is you need to get yourself some decibels. Okay. Decibels are earbuds, and they come with a thermofoam um, earpiece that you, you mold to fit your ear. You heat them up, and then you put them in and mash them in. They adjust to your ear canal, and then when they cool, they, they fit perfectly in your ears only. Hmm. Okay. That's kind of cool. That way, you have earphones that are customized for your ears. And you're you're striking a dim recollection in that. I believe I've heard of those, but have not, you know, yeah, we've talked about them on the podcast a couple of times with everything else that goes through my head. I, you know, it it gets stored for future use at some point. Yeah. So the W one let's, let's be clear. The W ones have no wires at all. The, 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 uh, I am plus, which is the Kendall Jenner, Willie, I am and Naomi Campbell project, the buttons as they're called, uh, they have a cable that goes between the two ears. Yep, which is the mo- which is most common in wireless earbuds. Yeah, but let's be careful. There, there is a wire. Yes, the two either. wires. If you want to be technical, there's the wire that you have when you're wearing them, and there's the wire that you use to charge them. That's true. That's true. Uh, right. The buttons are 230 bucks, and they're available in four different color combinations. They're in black and gold, white and gold, black and space gray, or white and rose gold. So you can match all your fun Apple products. That's that's going to be nice, actually. That's quite nice. So we've we've covered it. We've said uh, Master and Dynamic. We've covered the IM Plus buttons. We got uh, Pure Gear got a mention in there, and Decibels got a mention in there. That's yep. four different types of Bluetooth headphones that 
are available to you that if you've got a uh, an iPhone 7, make a ton of sense. So let's carry on. I want to talk a little bit about the MacBook Pro. Okay. What exactly would you like to address? There's a lot of topics that have come up this week, including one that, while we may not have been the first to talk about, we were the first to put a coherent argument toward it. What would you like to discuss? Well, first of all, I'm going to talk about Phil Schiller. Okay. Okay. Phil Schiller has been at the, the head of worldwide marketing for a long time. Phil's seen it all. He's seen everything from the 1998 iMac forward. He's seen maybe before that. He's he's been around. And if 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 you had to encapsulate what the personality of Apple is, I would start by saying that it's Johnny Ive and Phil Schiller, just because they've been around to shape it the longest in recent history. So we we've had a lot of talk online on Twitter and and even we talked about it when I was ha- on phone with with Dan last week about people being a little bit dis- disappointed in the pricing of the new MacBook Pro. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that there was criticism about how it was equipped. There was criticism about the pricing. There was, there was you know, uh, p- people were looking forward to this as the machine that would fit their budget and their needs. And when the announcement was made, they had a harder time fitting what their expectations were with what was released. Well, and, and Phil gets this, but the the best, most anticipated Apple product is one that hasn't been announced. It, it's nothing that Apple has ever done has ever appeased the entire market. And it, it, and it will never, because if they do that kind of thing, and Phil has said this kind of thing in the past, if they do that shotgun approach, then people will be sort of happy, but not super happy. The, the, the thing is that Schiller says, is that they basically, they built the very best MacBook Pro they knew how to build. Right. And it may not be for everyone on day one, but a lot of people felt that way about the first iMac too. Because, hey, that had no serial ports, it had no SCSI, it had no monitor out, it had all kinds of things stripped out of it. And it turned out to be a very good machine for a ton of people. So it's it's important to remember that that pretty much every product they've ever released has had some kind of criticism and some kind of debate. And their online store has had more orders for the new MacBook Pro than any other Pro Notebook they've sold before. I, I, th- I think he's also talking about the fact that this is also the first MacBook Pro case redesign in four years. The 2012 Retina MacBook Pro being the first one. The case redesign isn't really an issue for anyone. Well, it, 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 that comes with a lot of things. The Apple with the iMac, they had the first design and the exterior design didn't change that much, but some of the cosmetics changed over the uh, next couple generations and the poor offerings, the addition of Firewire and the addition of, of DVDs. And so the product evolved over time. And I, I don't think that this is going to be the last MacBook Pro we see until the next case design. And he's right. This machine may not be for everybody. There are architectural issues that that Apple is not necessarily well, responsible for here. They gave you they gave you four magic ports that do pretty much everything you could ever think to ask of them. Yep, and I think that's great. And people complaining about dongles either are newborns or haven't been using a computer very long. This is not the first time that we've done this dongle dance. And frankly, even if you're a computer user now or have been one for more than two years, you have some kind of adapter for something. Yes. So I'm, this is why people are freaking out about this dongle thing. I don't completely understand. And people are saying, well, I need a dongle for this and dongle for this and dongle for this and dongle for this. Well, no, you don't. You need a USB-C cable to USB-B 
to go to a hub, and then you have the hub deal with all your existing cabling. Yeah, and I actually have one of those USB-C to USB-B. I actually know it's a USB-A uh, port as opposed to the the kind of plug. Sure, and that, so that, works that works yeah, too. That works too. Works works fantastically is what it does. Um, what what this really is is that when you introduce a new magic port that can do just about everything you have to wait a little while for everyone else to catch up to it. When USB-C, when, when, when USB-A, right, was introduced in 1998 on the iMac, it was the first computer to ship with USB at all. Yep. It was possible back then to, to do weird things like uh, I had a, a PC motherboard that you could get a separate USB card for that would plug into it to give you USB ports, but no one did that. Was that the right? PCI one or the one that went to the riser and the motherboard? It, it wasn't a PCI when it was a riser off of a special header on the motherboard. Nasty. Yeah. It was fantastic in 1997, 98. Right. But the peripherals weren't there either. It took a long, it took a little bit for the peripherals to catch up too, because this is sort of a chicken and egg thing. But now that we've had two years of USB-C on the MacBook, the 12 inch laptop, we've got this machine. It's going to happen. Yeah, I don't. The complaints talking about well, we needed a transition machine with USB C and USB A. No, the transition no, the transition machine was the MacBook and this computer. You knew it was coming. You knew it had to be this way. You knew it was going to be this way when the MacBook came out two years ago. Yeah, your your transition machine. If you need one and you don't, so the the transition in the marketplace is that PC computers lag behind, especially ones sold for business. Right, there are still machines out there that God help us have a VGA port on them mm-hmm. in 2016, and this is because in a lot of institutions, people still have projectors that even if they have DVI and VGA connections on them, the uh, the structural wiring that is the the wire that connects the projector on the ceiling to the wall. They ran the VGA cable. They didn't run the HDMI cable. Sure, yeah. Right? And so this is the the brain damage. You you have to get on board with the new ports, with the new technology, and everyone will be happier when you do. So go ahead, recognize this is what you're getting into, and adapt. And if this isn't what you want, then buy the mid-2015 machine. But realize you're going to USB-C anyway. It's coming. Whether you want it to or not, USB-C is coming. That is true, but if you have a workflow, if you have needs, if you have some special way of doing your work and it's finicky and you want to stick with it, then go ahead and buy the mid-2015 machine. That's your way forward and and stick with it for a few years until your workflow is adapted. Or, or don't and use your existing hardware because it doesn't burst into flames when the new stuff comes out. Uh, I mean, Apple well, would prefer you buy something. I mean, you know, if you're buying from a company based in Korea, for example... It might burst in flames. Well, yeah, that's a different matter. But I, I had to get the Samsung joke. Yeah, in there. That, that's fine. Here all week, try the veal. Um, yeah. Is the machine perfect for everybody? No, and I alluded to this a little bit before, but it was never going to be perfect for everybody. the The choice of processors that Apple has used is the Skylake processor, and people are complaining, and including some tech reviewers, that why this doesn't this doesn't have Cabby Lake, and I'm upset about that. Say people. But Cabby Lake, for what Apple wants to use it for, isn't available. There are no quad-core Cabby Lakes. And in fact, the next round of Cabby Lakes isn't even quad-core machines, quad-core processors suitable for the MacBook Pro. The next round of Cabby Lake is desktops and Xeon processors. So a Cabby Lake quad-core will see the middle of next year, the middle of 2017. And people are already saying that, well, Canon Lake will be ready for a 2017 MacBook Pro. No, it won't. We're going to be in the same situation we are now with with skylake we're going to have 
a quad core Cabby Lake by the end of next year, let's, but we're wait, sure wait, as hell wait, not going to have Cannon Lake. Mike, slow down a second. Let's let's let me break it down for a moment. Okay, when you design a laptop, you inevitably are are making a bunch of decisions about compromises. And you're making these decisions about compromises because you want to pack in the most power you can into the smallest amount of space with the with a reasonable amount of, of power de- demand because you've got batteries you're running off of and you want those batteries to last for a, a useful amount of time when you're using the machine. And you've also got to dissipate heat, right? You've got thermal heat created, duh, thermal heat. You've got thermal created <laughs> Because you're you're running this in a small enclosure and the heat has to go somewhere. So you have to evacuate the heat. So what happens is you end up trying to design within these constraints. And when Apple selects these parts, there's the thermal design power rating of a chip, right? It says this is the maximum amount of heat generated by a component uh, that the cooling system is designed to dissipate. So they know how much their fans can dissipate. They know how much the heat pipes inside can dissipate and how much they can manage and move that heat around. And if you go ahead and you put in a a processor that produces more than that thermal design power, then you're going to end up with a machine that overheats. You're going to cook your legs. You're going to cook the system, right? You, you have to accept that these are the constraints. And so the constraints that, they, that exist within Apple's spec for what they can do in a laptop that's this thin, that dissipates heat, that doesn't run its fans full time all the time, the answer is use Skylake. The answer is use Skylake because it doesn't exist in quad core, right? I mean, because Kaby Lake doesn't exist in quad core. Yeah, cause, right. Because Kaby Lake doesn't exist in quad core. So, yeah, I understand what you're saying. And that is definitely. Definitely but KB Lake is not available, besides being quad-core, it's not available with the TDP rating. Right. So you simply don't have the part that people are wishing for. It doesn't exist yet. And, you know, the, here's the thing is people got steamed about this when the machine shipped, and they didn't take that five minutes to take a look and see why. And I'm, I'm not going to make any pretenses about it. I'm a man of science and technology. I'm not the $6 million man. I don't have, you know, cyborg parts. Yes. But as part of who I am and not just what I do is when things like this happen from Google or anybody, I sit back and I say, okay, this does this. And this is why they made that choice. Mm. And now immediately, immediately it was clear why Apple made the choice they did on the processors, which, which led to all these other things that happened down the line. I'm wildly gesticulating here because I'm from new England, but, and you can't see it, but there are these steps that happen and these fallout things that happen because of some core engineering decisions that Apple was forced into. Mm-hmm. So, and you know, the thermal design profile being one of them. Right. So thermal design power. Yeah. So I'm looking at a, uh, an Asus notebook. I'm, I'm looking at a, uh, no, no, it's, it's an MSI notebook rather. It's an MSI, uh, CX 72 seven QL, which is a very <laughs> marketing friendly name. It's a 17 inch laptop. It's it's quite large. It's quite thick. It does have a Core i seven KB Lake processor. Okay. It's it's you know they they it can be done, but the thing to note is that you know when when you do that right you've got so the the, the Core M three chips right they have these models that are fifteen watts in the U series. There are Y series that are four point five watts. There are these these different i5 and i7 chips that are 7y54 and 7y75 chips that don't really have a customer friendly uh, they're, they're not a good decision because the tdp rating is 
so important for the performance of the processor and the TDP for those is very high, right? The the KB Lakes, instead of being 4.5 watts, they jump up to being these 15-watt kind of things. So uh, a Core i3 with a 15-watt TDP can actually end up being faster than the Core i7 rated at 4.5 watts. But you're you're using more power. You, you it, it doesn't fit within the design constraints that we're talking about for a MacBook Pro, where you can shoehorn it into this gigantic 17-inch, very thick laptop. Okay. I mean, I, I, I'm nodding my head yes. I, and But... <sighs> They are yes. Could Apple have built a machine with thirty-two gigabytes of RAM? Yes. Could Apple have built a machine with a better GPU? Yes. However, given the stated goals of the machine and limitations of processor technology available at the time, keep in mind that this machine wasn't out on the first of October. This machine's been in development for how long? We Probably had a, a we had a leaked case picture in June. Right. And and the leaked case picture in June doesn't tell us how long it's been around. It takes nine months to a year to do a product development cycle. So, I mean, there, there's a lot that went into this. And I, I just, the, just the social media storm about it, I don't think anyone took any time to dispassionately sit back and realize why the decisions were made, why they were made. Um, the, the, the 32 gigabytes, if, the, if they went to 32 gigabytes of RAM, then they'd be using higher powered RAM because the LPDDR3 RAM, you, you you physically cannot get to 32 gigabytes of it. You can't do it. You can do 16. You can't do 32. Look at the, look at the surface. The surface has the same limitation with the same processor. And it, it's just, uh, it frustrates me. You're frustrated. Yeah, you're I, I am. I'm, I'm and you're frustrated in your fellow humans, Mike. What, what, what I like to do is I like to say, look, people, uh, you know, please take a second, examine the facts behind the situation. And if you still have an issue after you know the facts, then we can talk about it. But if well, you're making if you're making an emotional decision based on engineering and electrical design principles, it's, it's incompatible. No one requires anyone to buy this machine. No, and, and that's a true statement. If you don't like the machine, you know, then then buy the MSI machine. Please, please do. Electronics are not designed to be a, a to be a war surface. They're designed to make your life easier or let you finish your job or do something like that. And you you shouldn't need self validation because you pick something and somebody else didn't. And if they want to give you a hard time about it, let them give you a hard time about it. But if you're happy with what you have, be happy with what you have. And then that's just you know. I guess Mike's words to live on for this week, I suppose. Oh, well, there you have it. Um, yeah. Mike's words to live by. Well, you know, uh, the thing is, is, is Phil took a lot of time to defend the machine. And he says that it wouldn't be Apple if he didn't have passionate fans. But and then he said that he was surprised at some of the uh, some uh, at some of the irritation about it. But I, I think that some of the irritation around it was built around an unrealistic an unrealistic prospect of what people thought they were going to get with this machine. Yes. Now there, there are some things like, like we said, right. This messes with people's workflow because it's got different ports. It's got a lack of ports in some cases, but you, you just, you need to find ways to adapt. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's not necessarily um, a big deal. It's, it's a minor deal, but it's, it's kind of annoying. Right, they initially had an SD slot on the machine, and they've had one on there for years. And they picked the card format because pretty much everyone had it at that time. Mm-hmm. However, the card slot's never been amazing on the laptop. Right, there no. there are a couple of different yeah. types of SD slots. There's some that you push in, and they have latches, and they're surface, they're they're flush mount with the surface. In the Apple implementation, it always just pushed in and stuck out from the side. Yeah, about a quarter inch. Yep, uh, a little bit more than that, more like half inch. Okay, I'll go with that. And stuff sticking out the side of their laptops 
is not exactly what they like. Yeah, they're not a super fan of ports to begin with. So something hanging out the outside? Yeah, I'm not sure where that would fly. Yeah. However, it flew for several years. I mean, about, I want to say 2010-ish on it is, is when that was introduced. So for six years, we've had an SD card that could hang out the side of the laptop. And Apple's vision is one of things becoming wireless, of things becoming uh, generics, not the nice word. I would say that more universal. Uh, universal and uniform, I think, is what you're really looking for there. Yeah. Uh, and with the Thunderbolt 3 ports, they're universal. They really are. With an SD slot, well, it's it's for that one type of card. And that one type of card can be replaced by wireless transfer. Now, if you're a pro photographer and you're using your camera and you don't want to do the transfer of the files from a $6,000 job over wireless, great. Plug in your USB card reader. But no one's forcing you to pick either path. You can do either. Uh, now, one of the things that happened is that in, in many Apple machines for years, the, um, the headphone port also doubled as an optical port. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would happen is there's there's Toslink, which is the Toshiba optical standard that is used for pretty much all optical cable for home AV gear. There's mini Toslink, which is putting the optical light, for lack of a better word, at the very end of the headphone port connection. And you, you plug in an adapter for an optical cable that looks like that headphone jack shape, and it transfers the digital signal across the wire. And that was built into Mac Minis. It was built into MacBook Pros. It was built into to all the machines. It was built into the Airport Express for a long time. Yeah, the first machine that popped up in as, as default was in the G5 Tower. Yeah. So we've had this port for an awful long time. Uh the 3.5 mil headphone jack was retained for professionals with audio gears that don't have wireless solutions and still need the jack for Mac OS. But how many people are running digital audio out of their Macs? I have. I'm not currently. Um, I've used it. What did it, you do that for? What uh, were you doing? Believe, believe it or not, the only reason why I did it was before the when the Mac Mini first came out, it had a DVI port and it didn't have HDMI and there was no good way to get audio from the Mac Mini to my television without it. And so you did optical to your television? It was what I had available. It was what I had left for inputs on my TV. Ah. And that's the only reason that's the only reason I've ever used it. And that was in 2007. Yeah. So I, I so it's been yeah, it's been a, a solid 8 years since that I was on your Core Solo Mac Mini. No, I know, to be fair, I had the Core Duo. I wasn't stupid. Um but yes, it was that same generation. <laughs> it was the same generation. Yeah. So the the reason why people would do something like that back then is that back then the Macs shipped with a uh, a home audio video front end that you could enable using the Apple remote that worked with the, the Mac mini at that time. Yep. And it was called Front Row. Yep. Pre-Apple TV, just a, a year pre-Apple TV. Uh, incorrect. The Apple TV was introduced in 2007 at the same time as Front Row. Then what am I thinking of? I don't know. Because I had the Mac. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. It, it's the the fact is, I used the mini with the television with the optical cable right. before I got the Apple TV. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. No, the big Apple TV that had a uh, an actual physical hard disk inside was forty or one hundred and sixty gig, and and was actually uh, uh, an Intel based Apple TV. Love that thing. I think it was that was two thousand seven. Yeah. That that debuted January two thousand seven. And the first known indication of the term hobby for it. But yes. yes. Absolutely yeah. fantastic product. Anyway, moving on. 
So that's what that optical cable was for at the time. And, and now it's no longer around because for years, front row hasn't been on the Mac and no one's really needed it. If you were doing pro audio things, um, you used a different type of digital connection to get the audio out, probably over USB or something else. There, there are no DJs that were using that optical out. Yeah, Apple. That we know of. Yeah, Apple told us that they removed it because customers weren't using it. Exactly. And I completely buy that. I, you know, I thought back to my own recollections the last time I used it, and it, so I'll use ports on these computers sometimes just so I can say I did. So, and that's really not much more than what I did with it in 2007. So. And, and I agree. I don't think with anyone that I've done any support work for recently that I've even seen anybody using it that way. Everything else, everything I've used, everything I've seen has either been using HDMI audio or just a regular headphone jack breakout with the red and the white plugs after the headphone jack. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, again, I agree with you. I don't think this is a major mission. I think that this is just an evolution of the headphone jack. I don't think it belies what Phil said about it about keeping the port because it is still a pro machine. People leapt up immediately and said, aha, you're lying because we need Toslink as a pro machine. Well, no, I, I don't think that's actually the case. Yeah. And, and on the whole, let's think about it, right? You got something thin, you got something light. It has wide color gamut. It has touch bar. It has touch ID. There, there's a lot right about where this is going. Even if you don't like this particular model, you may like the next one. Yeah, this is the shift, right? This is the heading shift. This is, you've got the retina machine and it had all these ports and it had this processor and it had the larger bezel. And now this is where we're going now. And this is the next few years. This is the direction we're taking with this machine. And like I said, I, th I think that you may not like this model, but you might like the next one or the one after that, much like the iMac, much like when the first iMac came out, it was a 233 megahertz G3 with two USB ports. And there that's it. No, no ADB, no serial, no nothing. And you, and wireless wasn't even a thing yet. The airport wasn't even a thing yet. You had, you had an airport card slot. It, it did not, sir. The, no, you're right. It did not. Yep. The airport card slot came in with the, the uh, DV with, series. with the DV series. That's correct. Yeah. Underneath that fancy little door mm. with the, where the Ram was. Um, some needed the mezzanine slot and some did not, but that's a, not the mezzanine slot, the airport little carrier slot and some did not, but that's a story for yeah. a different day. Yeah. The, um, and I, I think the same thing is going to happen with this machine. I think this is the first iteration and it will change over the next four years. Will it be another year till the next upgrade? Yeah. I mean, we're not going to look at another upgrade in this machine in February with anything. I would, I would suspect the next upgrade of this machine is around this time next year. Okay, so you think it's one year out as opposed to two years out? I think it's. I think it is no more than eighteen months out. Ooh, that's that's not definite at all. And I think that's going to depend on Intel. I think it's going to depend on Intel if they keep up their production rates. I think it's going to depend on if they can actually stick with this tick tock tock thing and not make it a talk talk talk. So it, it, Apple is very much in the hands of another company for this. And there's there's speculation that Apple might use the A10 for the Mac, but the A10 processor architecture. It isn't exactly what you want in a machine like the Mac. It doesn't do symmetrical multiprocessing that well. Um, it, it does it, but not as wait, well. Wait, 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 wait. No, wait. The, the architectures are different. And while I'm sure that there's no S10 version running on it, it is not suitable for a pro machine. If it wants to be, if you stop it, everything. Oh, come on now. What? Let, hear me what? out. Hear me out. If you were going to introduce an ARM processor like the A10 or uh, a, a hypothetical, since we're dreaming, an A11, why not? Right. It's inevitable. Sure. We'll call it the A11. Uh, an A something. The future A series processor made by Apple into a laptop running Mac OS. 
if I were king of the world, I would do it first to something like a 12-inch MacBook. Uh, that was exactly what I was in the middle of saying before you interrupted me. I got to get a word in here edgewise. I know. I, I talk a lot. Again, New England, right? So you, you, you do it as a transition into the product that's going to need to take advantage of long battery life, like the MacBook, that people don't think of as being the pro machine that does everything and runs TV studios and all this stuff, like the MacBook. You, you do it in a way where it can do all of the things that it's competent at and beat the prior Intel version but doesn't disappoint anyone along the way. And I'm in complete agreement with you. Right now, the A-series processor is not a good choice for the Mac Pro or the iMac. It is a good choice. But a future one could be, since we're talking about stuff that doesn't exist. It could be, but it won't be in the next 18 months. And and so for now, (laughs) and so for now, Apple and Intel are, their their fates are intertwined. There's there's no one like, going back to the PowerPC chip, which still exists, by the way, is not an option. Not by Motorola, doesn't. Not by Motorola, but it is. <laughs> but the PowerPC chip still exists. Yes, IBM still makes power chips, mm-hmm. and and you know, we're not going back. No, no, we're not, um, and we're not going back because partially there aren't multiple suppliers. Apple needed to choose from both Motorola and IBM, especially after Motorola at the time uh, crippled supply so badly that they couldn't actually make the product introductions that they wanted to make for Power Mac G3s. And we're not going back because IBM never could make the mobile G5 the way that we needed to have the PowerBook advance. Right. What were the jokes? Had to be a three-inch thick laptop? Uh, something like that. That was what the, the rumor was. Mm-hmm. But basically, the, uh, when IBM and Apple agreed to work together to make the G5, there had to be a mobile processor as well. And they never made it. And they never could. And that was when the switch over to Intel happened yeah i don't prepared for long in advance that's when it took place i have no doubt i have no doubt that on a desk somewhere in cupertino right now that os 10 as we know it is but we know this Mike. this is absolutely this is not something that's speculative it's it's known the uh and we know it because we see hints for it within mac os sierra so just not going to happen soon and you know and interviews from cnet and interviews with phil schiller here and they've all said that Mac OS and iOS is going to remain separate, at least for the time being. And well, because they think that they're, that they are discrete products deserving their own lifestyles, their own, their own, their own trees, their own development, their own everything. And, and because we don't need a touch screen on the, uh, the laptop either. Yeah. You know what? I've used PC laptops, you know, and again, as a reminder to the, to the readers and listeners who may not be familiar with me, I, I, I do not bleed in six colors. I'm a fan of Apple products, but when, yeah. when they said that, you know, you get the Popeye forearms using a, a, a vertical touchscreen, they're completely right. It is, it's bad. It is bad ergonomics to be using a laptop touchscreen. It's terrible. Once upon a time in a previous venue, I reviewed the Dell XPS one, which if you don't know what that is, it's a, it was a 27 inch all in one around the time of the very first retina IMAX. It was, it was a solid PC, but man, using that touchscreen was insane. It's just not a good experience. Yeah. So we'll see with the touch bar when I, when I get my machine and it will be here well, in December. The advantage of the touch bar is that your hands are already at the keyboard. They're already in the home row. If you're already at ASDF, JKL, semicolon, and all you have to do is reach up and your touch bar is right there, you're not moving so far that it makes bad sense. Yeah. So I'm, you know, I'm in complete agreement with that. And 
it's just the people that know me wonder why I'm so positive on the MacBook Pro. And I'm positive on the MacBook Pro because it is a solid machine with solid design principles. And they, and frankly, for lack of a better turn of phrase, they did the best they could with what they had available to them. Solid. So solid. We have an unboxing of this very MacBook Pro. We have the actually the 13-inch the because that's the one that's available shipping right now. And we have that with the classic physical function row unboxing in the show notes. And I want to encourage everyone to go and take a look at it because there's always something informative about how these things are packaged. Yes, okay, fine, it's a box wrapped in cellophane. But the way that Apple goes ahead and cradles the laptop in a black thermoform, the way that they put the uh, the literature on top that says welcome, the, you know, the different types of things that Apple do to make your first introductory steps into opening the laptop slightly welcoming. And that's what's interesting to see here in our unboxing that we'll post in the show notes. Anyway, <coughs> more importantly than any of that is that the uh, the MacBook Pros get loud. The speakers that were in the keynote, they had a video that highlighted how they'd managed to redo the speaker design in a laptop that's as thin as this. And interestingly, because they've done it with this redesign and made it more efficient, the speakers get 58% louder yeah, than that, that's the speakers in the last model. Yeah, that's a really good addition. I'm very pleased with that. Was not Of, of all the things I, of that Apple released, I, I think that that was the most unexpected because they're, they're dealing with a very small chamber there. And, and for good sound reproduction, the, the, I mean, obviously there's a limit to this, but the, the, the better, the bigger, better oriented chambers you can gather, the, the better off you're going to be. Well, it's, it's physics. You, yeah. you have to be able to push air and you're not just pushing air out because when you're pushing air out, you're pulling from the backside. But when you retract the speaker, you're, you're actually pushing air back in too. And so when you have a, uh, a speaker enclosure that matches the physical size needed to be able to push the air, you get good sound. When you don't have the right size enclosure, you can't do it. People try and overcome this with things like passive radiators that also move to increase the, the virtual space of the enclosure. It's really interesting to see how they've gone ahead and changed speaker design to be able to account for this without breaking the laws of physics. Science on the Apple Insider Podcast. There you go. Well, let's wrap it up. Mike, is there any parting thought that you'd like to give people? Phil Schiller said that you need to try the machine. And I'm in complete agreement with him. And and that's where the rubber hits the road, right? When you actually sit and use a machine. Now, the Apple stores are going to be packed. But if you're on the fence, don't just decide yes or no based on what other people are saying. Go and sit down for five minutes at 11 o'clock at an Apple store when it's as quiet as possible, I, I know that's hard, and use the keyboard, which is different than the MacBooks, which is different than the 2015 MacBook Pros. Sit down and look at the screen, examine the viewing angles, listen to the speakers, use the machine for a couple of minutes and for nothing else than the type the first couple of words of war and peace into the notepad and, and see what you think about the machine before you make the gut yes or no. We've given you the data. We've given you the statistics. We've given you the numbers and we've given you the whys. And it's it's up to you to figure out what that adds up to. All right. This has been episode 93 of the Apple Insider Podcast. Mike, where, where can people find you on the internet? Well, my last name is kind of terrible, but we'll put it in the show notes. I'm at Mike underscore Worthley at Twitter, and you can find me every weekday at AppleInsider.com. Brilliant. Well, this is Victor Marks. This is the Apple Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week where we find out if Mike Worthley is indeed a solid 